Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Regarding Henry. Hi, this is Nikki. And this is John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. In Regarding Henry, Harrison Ford plays high-powered attorney Henry Turner. He's demanding and aggressive and successful at everything he does. One night while running down to the corner store for cigarettes, he finds himself in the middle of an armed robbery and is shot twice. Although he survives, Henry is left with no memory and little control over his motor functions and now must relearn how to live. Screenplay by Jeffrey J.J. Abrams, directed by Mike Nichols, and released on July 10th, 1991. Have you seen Regarding Henry before? Yes, I've seen this movie many times. Many times? I used to, I don't know why, but I watched this movie a lot. It was on cable a lot, and... Me and my brother would watch this together, okay. and I don't know why, because it's not like you know, it's not like a, it's a, not ch- a, kid's, a kid's movie, movie at all. No. I, we just watched it because we would laugh at things together. You're making fun of his progress. Not really making fun of it. I think in some of the lines. Yeah, there are lines in here where we would repeat and think it would be funny. Okay. I don't know. It's, I don't know why. We just watched it because it was always on. And it was always on during the parts where he's, you know, learning to read or, like, beginning to walk yeah. and talk again. And some of the stuff that he says made us laugh. And I think that's I <laughs> probably intentional. It doesn't seem like it's supposed to be a straight drama. There do seem to be parts where, you know, the There's some, like, light, intentionally, it's lighthearted. Yeah, and, intentionally lighthearted and funny at times. Um, I, I've never seen this. In fact, I didn't know anything about it going in, really. Like, I, I knew the title. I knew the cover of the VHS because I used to work at a video store. And so, like, I knew what the cover was. But it's just Harrison Ford and Annette Benning's head, you know, just sort of, like, down. Yeah, leaning on Leaning each against other. each other and looking down. So I always had the assumption that it was about, like, their kid, Henry, who had an accident or died or got cancer. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I didn't think it had anything to do with him. <laughs> him. I didn't think he was Henry. I thought it was the, it's about your son, Henry. You know, that's why I thought, it would, you know, that's. Yeah. That's like, a, uh, we need to talk about Kevin type of thing. Like right. they have a troubled child. Or yeah. Something there's like some that? sort of trouble. I assumed oh, okay. an illness or whatever. Uh, so I, I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if this is better than what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess it was all along the same lines of what I was expecting. I was, you know, it's a sappy, like drama, family good. drama. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it had the same tones as what I assumed, but. You know, the daughter that's in this movie is perfectly fine. 
physically, you know. So it mm-hmm. wasn't anything to do with the child. It was the, the, the man. <laughs> the, <laughs> the father. Yeah, the father. Um, so it's just another thing where an asshole learns to not be an asshole, but, you know, uh, takes resetting his brain literally to make that happen. Yeah. So the moral of the story, I guess, is don't smoke. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He gets shot by. Yeah, because he, he really, pipe. he needs, it was like midnight or something. And he's like, I really need my cigarettes. Yeah. Before I go to bed, I think. But at the same time, like, <laughs> is the moral of the story don't smoke? Because if he didn't smoke, he would just still be an asshole his whole life. The fact that he was a smoker yeah. was what put just him in that situation. So don't. I don't know what the moral of the story is. I don't know. Just don't, don't be a dick. Yeah, don't, don't be a dick. But, I don't know, the only way to not be a dick is to, you know, have some traumatic incident that changes your brain function. Right, so. and to, you have to get shot in the perfect spot of your brain yeah. for you to actually live and then start anew. Exactly. Yeah, so you get shot twice. Once is, like, basically, uh, like, in the upper chest, and then one is in the head. Yeah. But the bullet doesn't go through. It, like, is lodged there and... The way they explain it in the movie is he has, uh, I think I wrote down anoxia. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a lack of oxygen to the brain, which causes you to lose memory and motor functions, and he couldn't talk until um, later in the movie again. So that's basically what they said. is like It caused a heart attack, which um, cut off the oxygen to his brain, which basically means he's now like a toddler again, or like a you know, like a first grader in terms of intelligence when it all is said and done. Mm. So, uh, I don't know how I feel <laughs> about all that. I, I, I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know, like, whatever. Who cares about the medical side of things? Um, I had a problem with how they displayed the quickness in which he recovered. Yeah, I that's... I want to know... It seemed as if he fully recovered pretty much in, like, six months. Yeah, they and don't really give an reading, actual timeline, but it seems like yeah, it's, you know... Reading other things, like any type of traumatic injury like this, it's going to take a couple of years to get your motor functions. Like, even just learning to walk right. and then talk... Yeah. And just having him go back to work and him remembering cases, that's yeah. that's where it seemed as it seemed kind of like it was six to eight months because he gets shot. I think it's Christmas night because he's talking to his daughter and he's like, OK, you can open a present, I think, like in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. He's sort of talking to her on the phone kind of reprimanding her you know yeah yeah part of it and he's like yeah you can open up one present and then him and his his wife went to a party Uh that's when he comes back and he's like i need my cigarettes right so i'm thinking it's you know christmas time and then he comes like he i don't know he goes back to work maybe it's summer because you know his daughter is home from school and she's getting ready to go to this other school yeah, this boarding school thing that they signed up for her like a year before to go to right 
So it's got to be summertime. So it's like six to eight months. Something like that, yeah. And it seems of like of a full on recovery. <laughs> yeah, massive jumps in recovery too. It's like one day he doesn't know how to talk, and then the next day he's speaking in complete sentences, basically. You know, right? Is but I don't know how I don't know anything about any of the recovery of like getting shot in the head. I don't know because it seemed as if when he's learning how to read, you know, <laughs> yeah, he, he reads like a sentence, and he's and like, he now everything. I can read to. Every single thing. Now let me review my old case files. Yeah, because he's like understanding. And he's understanding and reading. Like he's reading deposition transcripts and knows every word now. (laughs) Yeah. After reading, "Are you my mother?" Basically, yeah, yeah. He reads the words, "Are you my mother?" And And then he's like, "I can automatically read every word in (laughs) the the dictionary." (laughs) Yeah. The next scene is like, "Oh, we were wrong in this case. We were the bad guys in this case." Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of leaps in, in leaps of faith that think, the, the yeah, movie asks for, you to For take this movie, that's of. my main issue: is how he can automatically just he his recovery time. He can just automatically get into everything immediately. Yeah, and I think beyond that, it's, it's that at some point he just kind of actually stops making progress mentally, right? So, like, if the movie is set up in such a way where it's not a full movie about him recovering and learning how to walk and talk again, that's only, like, the first act, right? So then it becomes, is he going to get back to where he was, before mm-hmm. like is he going to be able to function as an attorney in the future is he going to be able to do whatever it is to make a living and have like a full recovery and he doesn't he learns to read and he learns to walk by himself but he still has basically like the mental capacity of like a seven-year-old and it never yeah, progresses when it comes from to, it. He never like fully regains his memory, which is like one of the things that they talk about yeah. in this thing. And so at some point, like it's very quick progress. And then like the last act of the movie entirely is just him learning to love doing, his family. I guess. Again. Yeah. But not making any actual progress in terms of his physicality or, or mental abilities. Yeah. It's just more about like, can I love my wife? And, oh man, that's that's a weird thing too, right? That I don't I don't like that scene where she's like, "You haven't made love to me since you've been home." But he's <laughs> he's like, yeah, mentally he's like six years, seven yeah, years old, and that's he, what made it so awkward. Well, and, but it's also awkward because he doesn't remember her really, right? I didn't have much of a problem with that. It's more like this is like. It's like this she's is, this is a child in a man's body, lady. Like leave leave it alone. Yeah. Don't, don't touch. Don't don't force. <laughs> don't. Like do not, just be like because he does he even I I know that the one point where he he runs off when he comes back home. Yeah. We're like going back and forth in this movie, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. Um, when he, the first week or day when he comes back home, he goes out on a walk on his own. Mm-hmm. 
And that's when he walks into a theater and they're showing, like, porn. Yeah, he stumbles into a porn, not knowing it's porn. Yeah, he doesn't know. He thinks he's seeing a movie because he's buying, you know, candy bars and whatever. Right. And he got a hot dog beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you see him with hot dog and ice cream <laughs> and candy and stuff. Yeah, like and he's, then he's like, oh, I'm going to go see a movie. But he didn't realize, you know, it's like a pornographic right. theater And he didn't film. fully understand what he was Yeah, but at. he's you're sitting there and he's you're watching him watch the movie and he's making these faces like right like i'm scared and i don't know what's happening or what's going on and that's when you know she's like you haven't made love to me or had sex with me since you recovered yeah since you've come and home. he's like i've he's like i don't when i from what i know about it i don't want to hurt you type of thing because no, whatever like, i don't think i can do what i saw in that movie oh uh, okay is what he said <laughs> He's like I, I saw, I, don't, I saw, I saw, about, a I saw movie. this, and I don't think I can do that. Uh huh. And, and she's like, "Okay, well, let's try." Right. <laughs> not, not taking into consideration like this guy completely forgot everything about, like everything, everything in about, his life. You know, physical love. He doesn't know how it works. Leave it alone. <laughs> do not. I don't know. It, it kept on going like in different places. Like the moral places. of this movie? Yeah, it, it just kept on going different places than I expected it to, and it just didn't really go anywhere in the long term. So, it went for a walk and it came back, sort of like Henry did. Um, oh, by the way, when he escaped, and he like went out the door in the mm-hmm, building or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the delivery guy who let him walk past was J.J. Abrams yeah, as yeah, a cameo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I know I know that, but well, <laughs> the listeners, the listeners we can tell. Not. Yeah, this is one of his first uh, first writing credit credits. Not his very first, but it was one, one, of, his one first. of the first. It's pre-Felicity. Pre-Felicity. He had done, what, Taking Care of Business and Forever Young, I think I wrote down. I think that was before. Yeah. Before J.J. becomes, you know, the before J.J. Becomes JJ that everyone yeah. knows now. Back when he was still Jeffrey. Um, and then he did Armageddon later on, and Alias, and Lost, and Star Wars with Harrison Ford, of course. So, Do you think they talked about regarding Henry? <laughs> on this when set? They, when, they, <laughs> when they met again yeah, for Star why, Wars. Why, why, did you, why did you let me out of the building? Yeah. <laughs> right. I know, because he's I like, oh, possible. hey. Like... That guy has delivered. That's their delivery guy because he yeah. knew him by name. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh hey, Henry. Henry I'm gonna. <laughs> you forgot his name. I forgot his last name. Oh, Turner, Mr. Turner. Yeah, because he Turner. says, oh hey, Mr. Turner. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, because Henry doesn't really know these people. He doesn't he know doesn't anyone know yeah. that he knew from his past. But he's just trying to be nice, and he's like, oh hey, hello. Mm-hmm. And he walks on by, and they're, the, everyone's looking at him, because even the doorman's just like, hey, Henry, or hey, Mr. Turner. Everyone says, hey, Mr. Turner. Right. And they can't, like, tell him no, necessarily, even though they probably They don't say, like, hey, should. where are you going? They just all say, hey, Mr. Turner. And he's like, hey, hello, hi. But they probably and just sh- keep, and then he's like, where he's going. Yeah. You know, because they know his condition. Yeah. They know what's going on. They'd be like, hey, where, where are you off to, Mr. Turner? Right. But he, you the want guy. Some help, right? The one, the... I think the the door, the guy that opens the door, 
uh, says, hey, Mr. Turner. And then he go, Henry goes, I'm going to go for a walk now. Yeah. And <laughs> the doorman's just like, okay, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care what you do. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it does definitely try to be funny at times with scenes like that. Yeah. Um, like a, a very child. He has a childlike sense of humor. Yeah. And, like, when he's in the library with his daughter and she's trying to study and he's just, like, flicking paper at yeah, her and stuff like that. because he's so. kind of... Yeah, because, I mean, a, a child would kind of do that because they're oh, bored yeah. and they don't know what to do. So they just start, you know, messing with you or playing around. Yeah, and I think Harrison Ford plays the character pretty well. Right. Overall, like, he's clearly a dick at the beginning. He, you know, lays that on very thick. Yeah. Um, you know, just, like, not really berating people, but just, like, barking out orders nonstop. Yeah, you see him in the beginning where he's sort of reprimanding his daughter. Yeah, and like speaking Latin to her, like, you know, using like Latin legal <laughs> phrases at her. And it's like, right. do you understand how it goes? And then he's like, says something in Latin, which I wrote down. It's like, those who are silent are understood to consent. <laughs> you know, like that's. Yeah, all I, right. Those, I I'm going to take your silence to mean you agree yeah, with me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's. He's trying to portray. Kid. Yeah, I know. I think that's. They're trying to portray this waspy type yeah. of how parents are in the 90s maybe even now i don't know i don't well i'm sure there's tons of yeah parents that are like that all yeah, i want to so know is what rachel had in her game boy because i saw her have playing the a, game boy she had okay. a game boy on the scenes and that's my that's my jam right there <laughs> <laughs> so i want to know what she was playing um yeah and she's just you know a kid and, and then you know i guess she got reprimanded for spilling juice on the piano right so no food allowed out of her room or out of the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. So. The other thing, when we were talking about the library, mm-hmm. is, so that's where the daughter finds out that he doesn't know how to read, because she's like, read your oh, yeah. book. Yeah, read your book. And then he and just like, looks I at can't. her. The That's, okay, so he goes to this rehab facility, and he's there for how many months, and they don't teach him how to read. That was another question I had. But didn't they? Didn't wasn't there like a scene where, or was it just like the shapes and colors? That that one lady was just like, "What is this?" And then she's like, "Ball," like repeating yeah. words. And then you know, show so me it was more shapes. Talking, teaching them how to talk. But yeah. Not read. She's like, you know, what is the like these shapes? Like, show me the squares. Show me the triangles. Show yeah. me the circle. Like, show me what is green. Show me what's yellow. Yeah. But. They don't teach him how to read, which is, I mean, if that's like a high... He knows how to paint. Yeah. A high-end rehab facility, don't they have to teach you everything? I don't know anything about, like, rehab facilities. I don't know what's expected and what's not expected. It could just be that they're thinking, oh, well, he's made enough progress. He knows how to talk. You guys can take it from here instead of spending the money on this place because, you know, you're hemorrhaging money with him not working anymore. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I thought that, again, just going back to Harrison Ford, I thought he played those scenes really well where he couldn't be verbal. Like, mm-hmm. just the weird combination of, like, smirks and eyebrow raises. Yeah, and just, yeah. Like, you know, very subtle, you know, facial movements to kind of get his point across while still trying to 
progress from being like almost like fully facially paralyzed to having some sort of normal function again. So he did a really good job of playing that and doing that progression. Um, and then also you have Bradley, who's the assistant at the uh, the rehab facility, who becomes like his best friend, uh, and played by Bill Nunn, and he was by far my favorite character. Oh yeah, in that movie. I think growing up that he 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 was my favorite character. Him, I that was my favorite parts in the movie when I was growing up was. You know, when Bradley teaches him how to s- sort of speak, you know, because he's not yeah. talking. And he's like, okay, he takes him down to the cafeteria, mm-hmm. puts some Tabasco and pepper and everything in the eggs to make him speak. I don't, yeah, I, to is, me, I thought that was funny as a kid. Yeah, it's it's funny to watch as a movie, but in real life, that's like legitimate torture probably yeah (laughs) i mean i don't think you should do that as a nurse or (laughs) a a physician's assistant or anything they shouldn't be doing that like Uh, forcing you but But, yeah yeah when i was younger i thought that was funny and i thought him you know their relationship together was my favorite part when i was Mm -hmm. growing up and still i like their friendship but let's let's quickly go back to the spiked eggs with the hot okay. sauce. Because, yeah, that's he. You know, uh, Henry is like panting and like you know wanting something, and Bradley's basically like, "If you want something, then tell just me. tell me. You have to tell me whatever you want. If you don't want these eggs, then you gotta tell me what you want. But you have to actually say it." And that's how he gets him to speak. And, and Harrison Ford's character says, "Ritz." Uh huh. <laughs> and that becomes a running theme. In right. The, whole the movie. Ritz crackers. The Ritz. And he's like, ah, Ritz, I said Ritz. Um, and and that's another thing. It's like, now that I said the word Ritz, now I, now can, I can say every word. full sentences. Yes. Yeah, and the next scene, he's like, yeah, completely... Speaking of full paragraphs and sentences word. and stuff. Yeah. And he knows how to paint really well. He knows how to paint really well, because he paints Ritz crackers and boxes almost exclusively. Yeah, yeah. he's obsessed with Ritz. And we find out what the Ritz means later on the movie. Yes, we understand the double meaning of the word Ritz, yeah. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we <laughs> covered the origin of Ritz, since mm-hmm. I think that will be coming in. But I, I, I don't know. We're going to see Bill Nunn in a couple other 1991 movies. He's in a movie called White Lie, and also uh, probably more uh, bigger known movie is New Jack City. Uh-huh. Um, he's in that as well, but he got to start with uh, Spike Lee doing School Days, mm-hmm. uh, and then also as Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing, which is, you know, a legendary performance. I I think this one is a performance where he probably should have at least been considered for nomination for supporting actor. I think... Like Like a Golden Globe. Yeah. If we're looking at the movies that we've already looked at, get rid of Ben Kingsley and put Bill Nunn in there Mm -hmm. in the supporting actor character category. Maybe even Harvey Keitel and put Bill Nunn in there instead. That's that's how much I liked his performance in this. Yeah. Just a huge personality, just pure encouragement the entire way, and just, you know, just a... Yeah, he's just a friendly, likable guy. Huge joy to watch the entire time. That's the... Watching it while growing up. Yeah, I liked those scenes with him. And I wish he would have come back, you know... One more time. A couple times in the movie, because yeah. they bring him into the house for a visit... But it happens so late in the movie. It's like, what took so long? 
You know, I don't know. It just seemed like he could have been like well, a best friend in my role mind, that could have been, you know, because yeah. um, I mean, he pr- like because he's like a he probably is so friendly with all of his patients that I mean, he probably their patients probably all think that that he is his best friend right. too, if that makes sense. Yes. So I don't, you know, because that's the first person that they meet these people that are being rehabbed i suppose yeah i mean i understand that aspect of it so he has patience and he i don't know i but mean again i'm talking can, in the context of I know. a movie where like he could have been the best friend to, like lean on and get advice from at several like points call him in his every movie. once in a while like hey i need right meet him advice. in the park for you yeah. know, advice on something instead it just happens at the very very end. very end when you know henry is like giving up on life sort of yeah when he find he starts to find things out about he has his, his past first real trouble, which okay, <laughs> why don't we dive into that? I guess okay. Um, so Henry's wife, uh, oh gosh, I forget her name. I, I, Sarah. Sarah, played by Annette Benning. So we're in movie number two with Annette, um, and we have one left. Guilty by suspicion. Uh, so we'll have three with her. Anyway, Sarah. Um, had cheated on Henry in the past with one of his co-workers named Bruce. And the way he finds out is he sees these letters in her drawers, and now he knows how to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just happened to be written on the same stupid blue construction paper that he used to write, like, a get-well-soon note to Henry. Right, so this so guy Bruce only has... So Bruce is an idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Get some normal paper, The other paper, thing is Bruce. that he gives him something from Tiffany's. Does he? It was that. a picture frame in a Tiffany's oh, yeah, yeah, box. Yeah. Yeah, and it I was, was like, why is this guy always going to Tiffany's? <clears throat> buying i don't know oh that might have been a clue i missed there too well because it was a couple of times where he sent he gave like when henry comes back to the office Mm -hmm. and gives him henry a bag and it's a tiffany's bag and then he you know he opens it and it's a picture frame and you know Henry's just like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, like he thank doesn't. You. Uh, he, he doesn't. <laughs> but then I think later on he sends something else in a Tiffany's bag. It could be. I don't know. I, don't know. I didn't. Pay I, I just noticed Tiffany's. I'm like, what's I noticed his, the blue construction. Like, why is he always going to Tiffany's to buy gifts? Like, I don't know if that was like a '90s thing. Yeah, it could have been like a brand deal with Tiffany's to make the movie happen. Even who Cause, knows? Because you like, know how, like, little... oh, like Tiffany's was like the niche right. thing back then. Just where, to prove like, if that you went to, rich or something. yeah, like, oh, you went to Tiffany's, so you obviously can afford anything there, or yeah. whatever. You're rich enough to buy anything from Tiffany's. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's happening, and that's just a weird way to find out. And then, obviously, the other part of it is that Henry was also cheating on Sarah back when he was his old self. And um, meeting his other co-worker, Linda, at the Ritz-Carlton uh, to have... An affair, so they're both cheating on each other, and they've both changed since the accident, or whatever. And now they're a happy family again at the mm-hmm. end. So, 
double meaning of Ritz. So. Uh-huh. That's the first that's corner what, he remembers was Ritz. And, and that's where Henry runs away to after leaving home, after discovering I know. He goes to the Ritz Carlton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, of course he does, yes. Well, okay, well, he doesn't know the meaning of Ritz yet. No. When he runs to the Ritz Carlton. No. But, yeah, like, maybe subconsciously he does, and that's the whole point. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh, this is my home away from home. I know this place, or I, I'm... Like, a like I recognize this, I, place. I, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm just going to go there from instinct. Yeah. And then Linda comes in and. Yeah. And Linda, that, that was the other thing. So she knew the, so he got a room that they usually get. I don't know if it's that extreme or if she just assumed that he would have gone there and asked at the front desk. Like, like is hey, Henry Turner? Yeah. What room is this person in? Okay. So it could have been something like that. That's what I was wondering. There's a lot of open-ended things that I was just wondering. Yeah. Now that I'm older. And, <laughs> and Now that you're not focusing on, oh, I remember great carpet. I want right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not focusing on, like, the funny one-liners. Right. Like, I remember great carpet. <laughs> I want or to go Ritz. home. Yeah. <laughs> or are you my mother? Are you my mother? <laughs> I'm, I'm now focusing on the plot of the movie. You're right. And you're realizing there wasn't a much of a plot in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, that's because I was like, how did she know that? Well, I, I don't know. That's yeah. I was like, did did he come to the front desk? And since he's been to the Ritz so many times, they're like, oh, Henry or Mr. Turner, do you want your usual room? Yeah, I mean, that could be too. You never know. Yeah. And then she knew that room because that's where they used to meet up. Yeah. That, that's what I was, I don't know, wondering. Who's to say? I don't know. Um, but the important thing is happily ever after? Yeah. and Mostly. And they have a dog. We forgot, you know, oh, during, yeah. during that walk, when he went during to go that see walk. the porno, he comes home with the dog. Yeah, he's just walking around. <laughs> so after he watches the porn movie, he gets ice cream. He gets ice cream and he sees this dog and he brings home a dog. Dog in a window. and that the, uh, the, the daughter wanted. Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked a whole lot about the daughter because she's, she's there, but she doesn't have a major role. I like her as an actress. And I do too. She didn't do she any, did nothing, after, nothing this. after this. This is so. her only role from what I could find. So, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's Mickey Camion Allen. Yeah, but then credited as Mickey. Mickey M I K K I. Yeah. Um, yeah, she played Rachel, and that's her only role. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's she's there to basically act as like an older sister to her to her father, older, <laughs> much older father. Yeah, but just only you know for key sequences, not really you know. Or also just to be the person who made mistakes before and to show how much Henry has changed by saying, oh, yeah, we're going to make those same mistakes in present day and it's not a big deal anymore. It's like spilling juice on the table. Yeah, yeah, She's like, oh. Oh, I spill juice all the time. And he knocks his own Uh glass over. So it's like to show his progression in that way. But they show that exact same progression like 30, 40 different times in 40 different ways. Mm -hmm. So he gets a little tiresome um so that's i mean i don't know if there's much more to talk about in terms of the plot to be honest with you Um, i mean you know at the end the other thing that 
kind of, I don't know if it bothered me, but, you know, it was just typical, you know, once they're starting to fall in love again with each mm-hmm. other, you know, they're walking in the park holding hands and she's like, oh, you never held my hand before and you you were right. never you didn't like into PDA. And he's like, well, now I do. And they're kissing, you know, he jumps on a bench and they're kissing right. and then, you know, they're waspy friends are staring at them in disgust like ew people kissing ugh like they're just so like I don't know I guess they're just supposed to play the judgmental that's not what the rich do yeah rich white people friends I don't know yeah and then that's when they invite Henry and Sarah to a housewarming well that was the other thing is you know Sarah's quote job was she a real estate agent because that's what i, I was no she had a job well because they show her in an office once i don't know and she's like, like i'm coming home. like oh we don't have any money because my husband doesn't work and then they like let him go to work but just as like they give him like easy random things well he's to- not even doing anything he's just sitting in an office reviewing his old case files because they don't have anything for him to do because he has the Mental capacity of, like, you know, a preteen. Mm. You know, it's like he's there just for show and, I guess, to get money, which is fantastic. You know, good for good for them for letting them do that. But I think, I mean, I'm pretty, like, Sarah, I guess, was maybe just, like, a socialite at some, you I know, during so. their time. Because yeah. they do talk about when they met. Because he, Henry's like, how did we meet? And then yeah. she tells him, you know... You were in law school or something. Right. And I was working for, like, Harper's Bazaar. Like, she was working yeah, for yeah, a yeah. magazine. Yeah. They met at some sort of party or whatever. But then when, you know, Henry is at home back from the rehab facility, she's in an office because they do show her, like, taking phone calls in an office. I just don't know what she was doing. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Just managing their day to day life, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> but I thought she was in real estate because they do the friend that's judging her later on shows like they're at an apartment that that she wanted to buy. But, the friend. Yeah, the the friend wanted to buy, and there was like a Sarah third just happened came, to like. They were tagging. Go her. with her. Yeah, yeah. She was she was going Cause with, I because I thought there it, was a third person who she turned who who the friend turned to and said, "Oh, never mind. I don't need to see it again. I'll take it." But she's okay. to a third person, okay, not okay. to Sarah. Okay, because then, well, I'm wondering if Sarah found it for her, because she's like, oh, I love this place, and blah, blah, blah. Like, she's talking to Sarah as if Sarah found it. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> whatever. The, the main thing is, like, they had a, a lack of money because Henry wasn't working. And he was the breadwinner of, yeah. you know, Because he was the high-powered, high-powered attorney. I, I don't know. I do kind of want to quickly go back to the whole point of him, like, working in the office, and, like, why they felt the need to show that at all. Because it kind of went nowhere. Like, he, yeah, he discovers that, yes, they were the bad guy in the case to open the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, they sure did spend a whole lot of time with him, you know, going over these legal cases and notes and stuff and, and having conversations about what, you know, give me the files for this person. And then it just, like, it went nowhere. I don't know. I just thought the plot wasn't structured very well and that they spent way too much time on stuff that I thought there was going to be, like, more intrigue. I thought he was maybe going to learn how to become a lawyer and, like, review these cases, but then, like, switch sides or something. 
Mm, okay. You know, or something could have happened, but, like, yeah, with multiple cases, or you could that, have, like, found things that would have helped other cases that were going on in the firm or whatever, but instead it was just a very long walk around the park just to get to the point of, yeah, we were bad, which we already knew that they were bad. Yeah, because, I don't know, if you're a defense attorney, you kind of have to, to win, you have to do some things. So to win, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't like that. I also didn't understand the whole point of having that. There was like this big party that was being held in his honor. That yeah, apparently, when he like was scheduled returns. before his accident that they still had to keep, that they still had to do, and so he had to give this speech to everybody. Uh, I, was that because I, he won that one case? I don't know. Or, maybe, but was he just like? A there partner was, that, I don't know, that, that was another thing. I it didn't know. make sense. And, I mean, the speech was fine for, you know, like, the circumstances where he basically just gets up and says, I'm sorry, I don't remember who most of you are, I'm trying my best, thank you. And, you know, it was a sweet moment, but it didn't need to exist because that party didn't need to exist. The whole thing just seemed super forced. I don't know, just a bunch of little... A lot of forced stuff in this movie, especially like near the end where I thought, you know, the whole cheating scandal stuff was happening. Like, you know, all it was a bunch of nothing happening. And then the last 10, 15 minutes was a bunch of stuff happening. Like, oh, you were cheating on me. Oh, but I was cheating on you. And like calling back lines from earlier in the movie, it just felt like a whole bunch of fluff and quick resolution. Not my favorite. So let's talk about the person who directed this thing. We already talked about J.J. Abrams a little bit. Mm-hmm. The person who directed this thing is Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... I want to go into his life a little bit more, but first I want to talk about him as a director uh, because he is probably most well-known for The Graduate. He won the Oscar and the Golden Globe for The Graduate. Um, he's been nominated for several others. So he's nominated for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Silkwood, Working Girl, which he made with Harrison Ford. Um, he also had a Golden Globe nominee for Closer on top of all of those. Uh, he's won an Emmy for directing for Wit and Angels in America. He's won directing Emmys, or he's won directing Tonys because he's a prolific Broadway director on top of everything else. And he's one of the 15 people who has the full EGOT because he has a Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album uh, for his old Nichols and May comedy duo act from the 50s. So, but in terms of directing, very prolific. Obviously a lot of nominations. It's tough for me to wrap around exactly what makes his movies as effective as they usually are. This is probably one of the lesser effective movies. Okay. Um, but I think... I was, I, I've been trying to think about it for the past few days, honestly. Um, so at, at the very beginning, we have uh, a long shot, a long sweeping shot of, like, you know, Harrison Ford is the attorney arguing his case, and we come in from the city street and it pans all across the courtroom. If you remember, there's like mm-hmm. a big circular shot where you see everybody in the courtroom and it wraps around the entire room in this very fancy location. And then after that shot, 
it is very, very conventional in terms of composition for the most part. And so I was thinking back, back to things like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I haven't seen in a long time, or Graduate, which I have not seen in a long time. And again, those are ones where I don't really, I don't really feel them visually. Like The Graduate, there's a couple shots that come to mind most, right? You have the wedding, the the the, we, the leg, yeah, the right? leg, uh, which is iconic, yeah. Um, and then yeah, I the think wedding the, scene, yeah, a couple of shots in the wedding scene of him like banging on the glass, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. also um, the end where they're at, on the bus when they're on the bus. And there's nothing incredibly special about that shot on the bus. Yeah, but it's, but it's the emotions uh-huh. of the characters and the acting. And I think that's really what the key is, the more I think about it, is that he's very much an acting director, but has enough subtleties in the visual side to kind of supplement what's going on with the performances. So we've already talked about like Bill Nunn and Harrison Ford's good performances. We talked about the daughter's performance and everything. So, you know, that's still there. And I think also there's a couple little subtleties uh, in the way things were directed. Like when Harrison's first in the office, he has this massive corner office of his own that overlooks, you know, the Empire State Building. Yeah. (laughs) Or like like the Chrysler Building. Oh yeah, Chrysler Building. Yeah, sorry. Um, And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible view and then, like, a couple scenes later, you see his office, and it's a completely different location. Yeah, because like I was trying to... it's, like, this little tiny, like, middle-of-the-road I was trying to figure out where room. they would be located in Manhattan, but I don't know. Yeah. But they physically moved his office from this big, high-powered thing mm-hmm. to, you know, this just this middle-of-the-hallway thing. Yeah. And they don't make special note of it. It just, it's, it's just there, you know, it's just like one of the things that changes in his life that, you know, is expressed, but not overtly. Um, and also like having like one of his Ritz paintings hanging yeah, over yeah. the <laughs> office wall, you know, just shifting the camera up enough mm-hmm. so you can see that on the wall, that kind of thing, I think is what makes Nichols effective. Um, but I think just the story just wasn't fully there either to make it work. So, I don't know. Yeah, for this movie, this is, like, the way it ends, you know, he's, Henry's like, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore, or I just don't want to be a bad guy lawyer. Because in my mind, I was like, so what's he going to do now? Like, is he going to be a plaintiff's lawyer, or what? Yeah. He said he didn't want to be a lawyer. He didn't want to be a lawyer, but what do you want to do now? But they then, don't explain it. They don't say. And that's when maybe it doesn't have to. Like I kind of wish I knew. I know that you know they all. They're all a happy family now. They buy a new. They're in a new house. They move out of their really nice Fifth Avenue apartment that's like right across the street from the Met. Mm-hmm. So they move to a house, but I'm assuming that's you know in the suburbs, like maybe. Way out in New York, or maybe Connecticut or something. And then they go pick up, you know, Sarah and Henry pick up their daughter, Rachel, from the boarding school because she's kind of miserable too. And then the end is just them walking away from her boarding school with their puppy. Right. 
And now, and then, but in my mind, I was like, well, now I want to see what they're gonna do. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, I, I kind of wanted to know, now what? Yeah. Oh, sequel time. Well, I don't want it. I mean, th- th- I just want, like... Still regarding I just Henry. want... I know. Regarding Henry again. I just want a paragraph, like, Henry, I know this isn't a real story. Well, P.S. We'll get about to- Henry. <laughs> I don't know. P.S. Henry became blah-de-blah. Like, what if he became, like, a physical therapist, too, and right, now is working almost, with his best friend? At, almost yeah. wanted that to happen, I think. Uh, but I don't know if it... They just wanted to leave it open-ended like that. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say. If we ever get J.J. on the podcast, we'll ask him. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Probably couldn't now. Maybe, maybe like... Uh, we couldn't then. Either. Let's be 15 years ago. I don't know. Um, one other quick observation I want to make about the movie that I forgot about. This is like... Uh, probably like the third or fourth movie we've had where we have that takes place in a in a hospital in some way so we had doc hollywood Mm -hmm. we had a scene in the fisher king and now we've had this i think that's all every single time it's like current day but it's like a freaking madhouse in the hospitals yes like there's like patients like falling over and like being operated on in the hallways and stuff like that yeah without being in an operating room or anything yeah yeah it's like, why is that a thing? I don't... I mean, from watching ER, I don't know. But <laughs> ER have more structure yeah, than I know. that. You know, like, yeah, they're like massive things. They're like, okay, we gotta get them over here. And, right. You know, and like, then like, let's I, get them I understand their designated how spots. things get... But this is like... Busy certain days. I don't... This person has a paper cut, and he's sitting next to a person who has the plague, and has his limbs falling off, and then over here, there's someone having open-heart surgery while doctors are not wearing their masks. Like, that's happening all in the same room in all of these movies, basically. And it's just a weird, weird trend I'm seeing in 1991. Hospitals. So I guess healthcare... But, I mean, we've... Uh, has gotten well, better not in terms all of, of it. Yeah. I don't... Well, because in Doc Hollywood, he was in D.C., in but the beginning, that was happening in that hospital in the beginning. I know, but I'm just saying, and Fisher, they're not wearing Fisher masks King. while they're operating on a guy in Doc Hollywood. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't. Yeah. And then Fisher King is. I don't. I, Fisher I wasn't King sure is like that was a like mental a, hospital, but I guess it was, but it didn't really say it was. I don't know. But there's the mental hospital, and then there's the part where they're bringing the guy from uh, who was laying in the middle of the road in Central Park. In. Like an ER situation, emergency. They're probably trying to show you that like emergency rooms are insane. Yes. I don't know, just super scary. But they're weird. Really not because I've been to the ER a few times and they're not like you know code blue every five seconds. Yeah, they're not nearly as frantic as that. But so. who knows? <laughs> who knows what it was like thirty years ago. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just seemed weird to me. It's just a weird trend in movies at that time. Um, so that's 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 the movie. That's regarding <laughs> Henry. Uh, in terms of awards, nothing of note that I found at all. No MTV Movie Awards this time. As you can imagine from the way we've talked about it, it doesn't seem like it should have been I mean, this movie anything other than Bill Nunn. did well, though, because this is the top... We're still in the top 100? fifty. Oh, top fifty. We're in the top. This, yeah, we're in the top fifty box office performers. Still, um, it made forty three million dollars. I actually did not write down what place that is. We can try to put that on the website at some point. 
Um, it's, it's listed there in the list of movies on the website if you go to 1991movieruin.com. Um, budget of 25 million, gross of 43 mil. So, yeah, it did pretty well. I mean, it has star power behind it. It has Harrison Ford. And Annette Benning. And it has the prestige Mike of Nichols Mike Nichols. Um, Abrams wasn't a name yet. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that was enough to get it by. And it had a decent cast overall, too. But, yeah, it just didn't fully come together. Uh, if we want to talk about the cast real quick. Yeah. Just a couple of people. Um, we got Rebecca Miller, who played Linda, the love interest of Harrison Ford's character, Henry, the one he cheated on. Um, she did not do a whole lot of acting uh, around this movie. Uh, she decided to move into writing and directing. She did Personal Velocity. She did Maggie's Plan and Angela. Um, uh, so beyond that, you may also know her as the daughter of playwright Arthur Miller, and she's married to Daniel Day-Lewis, so she's known in that way from her social life, tabloid mm. side of things, but she's also a very well-respected writer and director. Um, we have <laughs> one of the ones that I like the most, the doctor who informs Annette Benning's character, Sarah, of uh, Henry's condition at the beginning, the lack of oxygen to the brain, was a guy named uh, James Rebhorn, or Rebhorn. Okay. Um, but I know him, and you all may know him better as Mr. McFlemp in The Adventures of Pete and Pete, where he was oh, okay. the person who uh, turned Artie into a, you know, oh. a siding salesman oh, okay. in the Farewell My Viking uh, two-part series where Artie left the, left the show. So he uh, devastated all of our Artie fans. Artie, the strongest man in the world. Um, John Leguizamo was the gunman at the very beginning who basically had like one or two lines, which was very weird to see. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, was his, that's Leguizamo's, I mean, that's very early it's on It's an early role, career. but it's not his very first one. He was in Die Hard 2, he was in Casualties of War, and 1991 was a pretty big year for him. We'll see him in at least three other movies. Okay. Um, so we can talk about him more then. But he also, on top of those three movies and this one, he also released his first comedy special in 1991 called Mambo Mouth. So he was... I kind of remember that, yeah. He was well-known, um, or becoming more well-known at the time, so it was weird to see him take on such a tiny little role, role that had, yeah. you know... But hey, money's money. Um, and then the, lastly, I want to mention uh, the secretary of Henry was played by Elizabeth Wilson. She is a regular with Mike Nichols. Um, she had been in The Graduate. She had also been in 9 to 5. Um, and uh, also, most notably, we'll see her again in a much beefier, more interesting role in The Addams Family. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, so looking forward to That's talking about that. That's where I was like, I recognize this woman. Yeah, she's a, she's a great actress, and we'll get to talk about her more then. Well, you forgot someone else, though. Oh, I did. Yeah, I skipped over a couple people, I'm sure. But yeah, feel free. Their housekeeper. Oh yeah, yeah. She was also the housekeeper. She was in also Clueless. yes. <laughs> that's where I was like, oh, that's the housekeeper in Clueless. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Her name that. is Ada Linares. She probably played almost exclusively housekeepers. I'm afraid. Yeah. That would be my guess, just the way Hollywood works. 
Uh, but yeah, same housekeeper from Clueless. All right. She she pretty much, it was like pretty much the same, because she's kind of funny in regarding Henry too, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Even though in she Clueless, give... she's not, I mean, the only thing I remember in Clueless is she's like, I'm not a Mexican. Because, uh, you know, Cher's like, I don't speak Mexican, quote. Right. <laughs> but in, in regarding Henry, she had more of a relationship with, you know, yeah, it's like, this I like family. You, I like you better this way. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Um, and then yeah, lastly, I only other thing I have to say is just uh, going back to Mike Nichols a little bit. I talked about most of his life. But I just wanted to just talk about the versatility of his of his career in that, and also just his life. So as a seven year old boy, he fled Nazi Germany to be with his father, who had already come to the U.S. Uh, with with his brother. Um, and then his mother came a year later. So he is, in essence, an, a Holocaust survivor, for sure. Um, learned English, obviously, uh, and then became a big-time comedian for very for uh, a very short stint with Elaine May with their comedy duo Nichols and May, like what I talked about. They were a Grammy Award-winning duo. Um, incredibly influential in the ter- in. in in the comedy world because they had basically been one of the first people to take improv style comedy and, you know, blow up big. Mm. Um, they were part of a group called the compass players. Um, Ed Asner was also in that group. And those compass players were basically the precursor to second city as well. Okay. So Mike Nichols didn't actually form second city. It was a couple other people from campus players, but, or Compass players, um, but basically that led the way to Second City. And then I also mentioned that he's one of only 15 people with the full EGOT, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. So mostly for directing. So really fascinating life. Um, and then I think that's about it in terms of the, the cast and crew side of things, honestly. I think it's time we move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, so not really... This could be a true crime, I suppose. <laughs> but um, Most legal cases are crimes yeah. in some form. May not be... So this isn't, you know, anything... Violent. Hi, yeah, this isn't anything, you know, high profile. But I is looking for something newsworthy or noteworthy that happens around the time that this movie was released, which was... July 12, 1991, was from an article I found. It was a New York Times article. It came out in 1994, February 18th. So, you know, a couple years later. Mm -hmm. But um, there was a couple that sued the uh, creators of this movie. And I'm just going to give a little bit info. It's probably going to... I'm going to read most of this because it's kind of interesting to me especially someone who likes to read you know, lawsuits and stuff like that yeah, yeah. so it's a couple accused studio of stealing their story attorney john cox and his wife joan have filed a lawsuit seeking 100 million dollars against the creators of the movie regarding henry saying the movie is based on a manuscript about their life the suit says 
that the movie contains at least 108 similarities between the movie's main character, Henry Turner, played by Harrison Ford, and Cox, who suffered severe head injuries in a 1979 motorcycle accident. The lawsuit was filed in New York federal court. So this, I think they filed in 93. So according to the suit... Cox, who was a prominent attorney and a father of four children, was left incapacitated when his motorcycle was struck head-on by a car in Evansville, Indiana, on July 2, 1979. Cox was unconscious for more than a month. When he emerged from a coma, his left side was paralyzed, and after 19 months of extensive rehabilitation, he returned back to his law practice. Hmm. So yeah, this is so like a year and a half. He did fully return. Yeah. Cuz he didn't he didn't lose the mental capacities it sounds like. No, he he was in a coma and was paralyzed. Okay. Um, so he wasn't shot in the head. He was just struck head on in a car accident. Right, but he didn't have the memory loss. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. So during this time his wife Joan writes a manuscript about, you know, his, their time together. And they do, I didn't read the similarities, but they said there was at least 108 similarities that happened in the movie. One of them was, you know, in the very beginning was when, you know, when Annette Benning first finds him in the hospital mm-hmm. and he opens his eyes and he's drooling from one side. Sure. And another similarity was when he's learning how to walk on the way he's walking was he was leaning in on his left, I guess, like on his left foot. Okay. So those were, they were just like, oh, that's how you walked when you first started. And then when I first saw you, you were also drooling. So I didn't read all the similarity. I couldn't find the similarities, but they just said there was a ton of similarities to this movie that happened in their lives. Some of them very loose, it sounds. Yeah. So, during this time when he was, I don't know, being in his rehab process, Joan submits her manuscript to several several publishers, including in New York, and then in 1988. And they didn't hear anything from this New York publisher for 12 weeks until they got like a returned little rejection letter saying, sorry, we're not interested. And that was in July of 1990. And then in 1991, you know, this movie was released. So she thinks that somehow this publishing company, like JJ Abrams found it or was given to him and he took the ideas. Sure. That's what they're claiming. So this, I looked up this case online because I started to try and find, well, what happened at the end? Like, these people get their $100 million? Like, what the hell? And I couldn't find anything, so I looked this case up online. And this went on in the production company, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. They filed a motion for summary judgment, which... Uh, you can Google it. I don't really want to. <laughs> sure. it, they did a partial motion for ju- summary judgment and then a motion to dismiss. 
the judge granted that, so that automatically closed this case. There was no trial date or anything. The plaintiffs, this family, Joan and John Cox, filed an appeal, and this was in June of 97, and basically like a month or two later, the judge denied their appeal. So it just seemed as if these people didn't get anything. Yeah, not even a settlement. It yeah, they didn't like get any money. Purely dismissed out. Yeah, it was dismissed out. They appealed, dismissed again. So nothing happened. These people didn't get anything. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least the guy has his legal career still. So, you know, they weren't reliant on that. You know, right. <laughs> if they were wronged, they weren't, you know, counting on that money to survive, at least. Yeah. But... Yeah, really interesting that they... I didn't know that was happening, no. but... So moving on, pop culture-wise, a few days after this movie was released, so on July 18th, 1991, Perry Farrell launched the first Lollapalooza tour. <laughs> and some of the acts include Susie and the Banshees, Nine Inch Nails, Rollins Band, Fishbone, and Rage Against the Machine. It's back when it was a tour as well. Now yeah, that, it's, now it's all now it's all in Chicago. Just in Chicago. Well, now they, well, I don't know about now. Now, yeah, <laughs> like as of twenty twenty one now. In the future, but but in the past like ten to twelve years, it's been here in Chicago. But they also do like Lollapalooza, like Brazil, and oh, then okay. they do one in Europe, I think. Okay. But I think Chicago is the only U.S. Yes, I'm pretty sure location now. Yeah. But yeah, they used to tour, because I went to the one in 95, and it was at the World, that's what it was called, the one in Tinley Park. It was okay. called the World Music <laughs> Venue. I don't think I had been to one before I met you. So moving on, okay, now I'm getting to the part where, you know, these the top songs are going to be repetitive. <laughs> so the top U.S. song was Paul Abdul's Rush Rush. Okay. And then the top UK song was Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You. We're going to hear that name a lot. Yeah, we're going to... I mean, this is, you know, summertime, so I think this is right when, you know, Robin Hood came out, and that mo that movie and song became huge. Yes. So that's going to be on the charts for, like, six months. I don't know. <laughs> or, the, the better music of the 90s didn't come until a little bit later in the year. Right. <laughs> later well, in the I don't decade. know. That's a... Fine song. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> another, so another moving on to TGIF again. It's always the four. Mm -hmm. Or the first three are always Full House, Family Matters, Perfect Strangers. Mm -hmm. This time on July 12, 1991, the fourth one was another busted pilot and it was called Miss Jones. Miss Jones. Do you want to guess what Miss Jones is no. about? Do you want to guess who's in it? I don't know. No. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I should remember it, but I don't. Mm, I don't think, I think it only lasted this one episode, so I don't know. Okay, but it still sounds familiar enough to me that I feel like I should picture it in my head, but I don't. Anyway. Okay, so this is a series pilot about a single mother who tries to juggle her family and her career as a lawyer representing professional athletes. Okay. And That does not sound familiar. No. 
the it stars Christine Ebersol. Do you know who she is? She she was in SNL in the eighties. She's blonde haired. I think if we Google her, I don't know. You'll see if you. I'll show you a picture of her, and we'll probably just put it on the website. Maybe yeah, yeah probably if we remember. So she's Miss Jones. Okay. And the only other person that I recognize on here with that was in the cast was Ernie Hudson. Huh. So it was her and Ernie Hudson. That is all I have TV and music wise, but I do have corrections. I think we're going to Okay. We might do this more because only if we make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> if we just start talking and, and we them. don't yeah, and we don't remember things, uh, I'm going to fact check, I guess, and do these corrections. So last week we talked about Double Impact. And then I think we were also trying to figure out what language they were speaking in Hong Kong. Yeah. And we didn't know if it was Cantonese or Mandarin. I'm just confirming that in Hong Kong, 96% of the people that live there speak Cantonese over Mandarin. Okay. Also about the Corsican Brothers book by Alexander Dumas. I think you asked me, was this anything with, like, revenge? And I said no. But I'm just going to go into it a little more, I guess. Sure. So, you know, it's about the two brothers separated at birth by a doctor with a scalpel. They're separated, and the brothers' names are Louis and Lucien or Lucien. I sense another correction. I don't know. know. So I'm thinking Lucian, but I don't know. Louis and Lucian, they, you know, they, growing up or throughout their lives, they can feel and sense each other's emotions through time. And then Lucian explains that he has a mission to undertake, and he asks his brother to mediate a vendetta between two families. Mm. And that's what this book is about. So kind of. Yeah, kind of. But it's not like a revenge against, you know, their parents' death or anything like that. The other thing that I got wrong was the Little Rosie cartoon. Uh Uh-huh. I said it was Rosie O'Donnell. Yes. It's Roseanne Barr. Oh, okay. That's much different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think in my mind, I was thinking of Rosie. I thought it was Rosie O'Donnell, too, though. I think, um, oh, did she have a, like, a cartoon? Because now I'm thinking, you know, at the beginning credits of her talk show, it was, like, a cartoon, the opening yeah, credits. Yeah, that's so true. That's what I'm thinking of. That's that's what I was thinking, I guess, when I was reading about Little Rosie. Okay. Anyways, it's Roseanne Barr, and, you know, Tom Arnold also voiced in it. Of course. But it's... A cartoon based loosely on Roseanne Barr's childhood, and it's an animated series that was aired on ABC during the Saturday morning lineup. The series revolved a young eight-year-old Rosie, her sister Tess, and best friend Buddy. Tom Arnold was the voice of Buddy. The three would use their imaginations to overcome obstacles they face such as spelling bees family vacations and rules that their parents forced upon them that's what and little be, rosie and being mistaken for rosie o'donnell yeah. was also an episode. 
Yeah, so that's that. Okay. So moving on to rankings and ratings. On your one to five star scale, where would you put regarding Henry? I would give this movie a three. A movie you've seen a million times. I've seen it so many <laughs> times, but now that I've I've seen it, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I can't remember the last time I saw it. Maybe twenties. I don't know. I honestly can't remember. Maybe late teens, early twenties. But this time when we were watching it together, and I was trying to make sense of it, just a lot of things I still have questions on. So yeah. plot wise, yeah. Acting-wise, I love everyone. Yeah. I love every, all the acting. Yeah. Again, I'm honestly not too thrilled with Annette Benning's performance in it, but sort of like Bugsy, I feel like she was... She had more to do, but I just felt like her delivery wasn't there on this one. I don't know. Anyway, maybe Guilty by Suspicion would be better for me for her. Because, I mean, I like her overall. Uh, for me, 0 to 4 star scale, I'm going to say it's a 2, just because the performances otherwise would be a one and a half. So, middle of the road. Very middle of the road. Uh, every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch Regarding Henry again? Yet again, in your case. Yeah, I would watch this again. Okay. Would you? No. No. <laughs> I'm good. Okay. It's like, a, I don't know. This movie is like a Ritz Cracker, we'll say. Right? Oh, like, I like Ritz Crackers. Yeah, you know, like they're fine. Okay. But there's better crackers out there. All right. I'd rather have other crackers. So... But if you want to watch Regarding Henry, as of this recording in March 2021, it's available on Prime, Fubo TV, Epix, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of the major podcasting platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email us at 1991moviewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we'll be talking about Other People's Money, which is available on Cinemax, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.